Hey folks, in this episode, we get a little bit darker than we normally do with our example, a module for masks intended to capture the feel of a very special episode of a comic or TV show. If discussions of drug use are triggering or upsetting to you, skip from about 39 minutes in until about 59 minutes in. Thank you. We hope you still enjoy the show. Welcome to Stop, Back, and Roll, a podcast about driving to your parents' house, dusting off your old AD&D modules, and playing them in masks? I'm James. And I'm Brandon. Today we're talking about repurposing modules for narrative games, and writing a surprisingly sad mask starter. So we're actually recording the day that... The previous episode came out. Yeah, which I think is maybe the first time we've ever done that. I think it is. And we're having a weird uh, gaming podcast singularity going on right now that our episode that came out today, which was last two weeks ago for our listeners, we talked about uh, Darcy and Troy and mm-hmm. Cyphercast. Yeah. And in the or episode... Cypherspeak, rather. Cypherspeak. And in the episode of Cyberspeak that came out this week that I listened to today. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, they talked about us. Yeah. and they, <laughs> Which was funny. It was really bizarre because I don't think we had really talked about talking about them until we'd recorded already. Well, I had talked to, well, I had reached out to Troy and Darcy that day, actually. Okay. Okay. I don't know when they recorded that. They, they have a backlog, Because I think. they might have a backlog. they're professionals. <laughs> because the reason why we've never recorded on the same day that a podcast has gone out is because that would be insane. We'd have to be recording two weeks before a, the, the podcast was going to be released, which we never do. And frankly, game hacks are just so... rapidly evolving and topical that we can't record that much earlier but so we had i had talked to troy about um some some cypher stuff that day just to make sure that i had my head on straight because again like i had read that book maybe the night before uh and so i wanted to make sure i didn't say anything sort of blatantly wrong and and uh i forget how we got into a conversation about it but so it came up that i was we we were gonna probably talk about them yeah in that episode yeah and and then, then they started talking about hacking cypher for something and we're saying that uh, that that we and saying that they would be stepping on the toes of us and some little tiny nobody cares about podcast called Modifier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess what I'm just saying is, uh, Darcy Troy, you're both on notice, <laughs> and if you keep this up, we will drag you onto this podcast and force you to make cipher hacks. Yeah. Well, actually, it sounded like they were going to do that and maybe even do an episode about cipher hacks. Yeah, but they'll probably make the cipher hacks ahead of time. We'll drag them onto this podcast and force them to do improvised cipher yeah. hacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Crossover episode. Yeah. Woo. We should look into that. Oh, uh, that would be a lot of fun. Um, I, I both of them are just such wonderful people, and if you are not listening to Cipher Speak yet, you really ought to be. It's an excellent show, even if you are not a Cipher player. Yeah, they do a lot of uh, just really good GM advice. Yeah, because a lot of like they talk about um, a lot of their episodes about just talking about Cipher Speak forever. Yeah, uh, a lot of the <laughs> things they talk about are just um, ways to to run Cipher, cool stories to tell with Cipher, and all of those lessons you can learn. Um, you can pull out and play with other systems. And actually, I was tweeting today all about how um, just like we talked in our episode about 
about reading through the system to find the tools that you can use to either right. uh, hack that system or to pull those tools out. And and in, like in, we've talked about in the past, there is a level of system mastery that you need in order to be able to pull those, to identify and pull those tools out in a way that works. And there is just nothing like finding experts like oh, Troy yeah. and Darcy in a system to help you understand how to use those tools. They know their stuff. I'm I'm... I'm super interested in actually playing Cypher at some point because I feel like I've got all of this knowledge in my belt now. Uh, but speaking of taking things from one game and applying them to a different system. Mm-hmm. Eh? Hacking. Hacking. Um, I wanted to talk today about modules. Okay. So it, that might seem like a crazy topic for us to do. Uh, you don't really see people talking about modules too much unless it's a very traditional gaming podcast that it's like, D&D and Pathfinder, and that's it. Yeah, because you, you definitely have Pathfinder modules. and Definitely. A lot of, like, the, I think, Lamentations of the Flame Princess has an enormous amount of modules. Yeah. Uh, I think the Black Hack has some uh, has some modules. But you, you see them much less in some of the more completely narrativist uh, systems. Yeah. Well, it's something that we're going to get into a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of is maybe an offshoot of uh, Dungeon Starters, okay. which are sort of the Powered by the Apocalypse module thing. But uh, but yeah, like you see much less of it. And I think part of that is that uh, James and I really enjoy systems that you do a ton of world building. Yeah, in the game. Exactly. Like that's part of playing the game. And so if someone says, here's Castle Ravenloft, and here are, you know, levels 1 to 20... As you go through this adventure, everything's already written. Mm-hmm. And that's okay for people that want that. And But with the games we play, that's much less frequently there. Have you ever used a module, actually? <laughs> I don't think that I have. Okay, I have used modules. Okay, uh, that's When I first started getting into D&D, I was using modules. Uh, I had kind of a, a pre-playing role-playing game time mm-hmm. that I had the starter set for D&D 3 third edition actually uh and i ran that module in it and there was zero role playing but lots of orcs in 10 by 10 rooms Mm -hmm. so why use modules at all Mm -hmm. um just on its most basic level uh i kind of divided this into two things uh people that are really high prep uh or very high planning might not have time you might be a grown adult instead of a high schooler or a college student that can really budget more time for entertainment and more time for games. I know that when I was in high school and when I was in college, I could write adventures that I was never, ever going to run. And now it's like, oh, people are coming over here in an hour and a half. I should probably vacuum. Uh, I think another reason that people kind of high prep GMs use like to use modules is uh, if they're very new to GMing and they kind of have an idea that they need to be very prepared. And, like, you know, that can help to lower anxiety and make you feel more comfortable and make things a little smoother at the table, but maybe you have no idea how to write an adventure. Mm -hmm. So you go and you get a module and then you're playing, you know, you're fighting against gnomes in a giant robot because some D&D modules are amazing. Mm -hmm. And then for low-prep GMs, uh, it might be giving some structure or maybe someone's feeling 
just like, you know, a little intellectually burned out. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're an improv GM. Of course, they haven't prepared anything. Uh, but now they've had a hard day at work and they don't want to yeah. have to think through that. And so they are definitely a a valuable source because I, I don't know. I, I like I've, I've looked at some of the prep that you've come with two mm-hmm. games yeah and a lot of times it's just like a list of 40 names yeah that and, tends to be my thing and sometimes i struggle to even like conceptualize what that list of 40 names i would want to bring to a game should even look like because yeah. i don't know I, I haven't planned that far in advance like what kind of like every every time i try to run a game it seems like we go super far off yeah and um and we've talked about my problem of all of the games i run are empty and there are no people in them your your perceived problem my perceived of that. problem of that um and so it seems weird to me to even want to put people in games uh, because <laughs> apparently that's an issue i have except for the one old man in the lighthouse right absolutely well that's but, another thing that modules can help with low prep gms mm-hmm. is it kind of reminds them hey these are the things that you need to put into your game for it to be the game that you want it to be yeah and so if you know that uh vardrick stonehammer is going to be a character then you don't go um his name is johnny dwarf face yeah uh or vice versa if you're playing in a cool game instead of a super lame yeah. game yeah, yeah yeah that sounds like a pretty good name yeah that's, that's a great name that is my next character uh and then kind of as a broad sense there are the sections of box text which you can read in really boring ways or they can be injections of really detailed, awesome prose that you can throw in. Mm-hmm. I know when I introduce a character, I always want to give them visual cues. And lots of times I end up just not. Yeah. Then like four sessions in, I come in and bring some tiny piece of description mm-hmm. that doesn't fit. And it's like, oh, wait, this person <laughs> has been like really old this entire time. We just forgot. Yeah, or we or, never, or, knew. Or, you never or, knew. Yeah. I just made it up right then. Um, so this is a game design podcast, and so we want yeah. to do game design stuff yeah, with yeah. this. I promise, I'm not just doing, uh, I'm not just doing a general talk about modules, right? But so I think, I think if I understand correctly, where yeah. you're going with this, so modules historically have been sort of self-contained adventure starter packs. Yes, they contain. Character ideas, they, they're not not character ideas, but actual NPCs. Sometimes really fleshed out, too. Sometimes really fleshed out. They they contain... I, uh, a couple times I looked at some old D&D modules, they would include the stat block for the monsters Absolutely. you needed. They kind of, like, assuming you know the system well enough, they can you could almost just look at that module and run a game from there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so they are sort of useful, self-contained story blocks. Um... And I think where you're going with this, and where I hope you're going with this, is either you can take all your old D&D modules that you don't use anymore because you're playing Dungeon World, mm-hmm. and bring those over, and that the stuff that's in them is still good, and the thing that we had talked about in the past that I kind of really like is the idea of including maybe a one-off rule hack for that in a module, and and, and even just something, maybe even something just as light as the way the thinking about the way that people build modules can be useful for building your own stuff. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, That is definitely exactly what I'm going for. 
Um, and, and part of this is also taken, I'm kind of dragging inspiration from two, from two different sources. One, all of the wonderful, rich, old uh, modules that I've actually been really enjoying reading lately. Mm-hmm. And also some of the work being done by Marshall Miller, who is creating and has created some excellent dungeon starters that are essentially modules for Dungeon World. It's really interesting because you have to try to combine that feeling of play to find out what happens with, oh, look, there are words written down on this page that tell us what's going to happen. Or that tell us part of what is happening and part of what's going on. Uh, And so we're going to get a little bit more into uh, Dungeon Starters specifically as we build our product. Okay. Because I wanted to build a product. Okay, I think I'm down with that. Uh, that. So just kind of... Broad view, what are the things you can do with a module that are game hacking? Mm-hmm. Uh, first one is removing and adding content. Yeah. Removing content. Super easy, although potentially unbalancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you are doing Curse of Strahd, you can't take out the first five levels mm-hmm. and just assume things will be okay. Yeah. But if you're a group that doesn't like as many combats you can pull some combats out mm-hmm. and just give the experience anyway. Come up with some other reason. Oh, excellent role-playing. And just go and just move them on. Uh, additionally, there might be things that you want to add in. Lots of people throw modules in as a piece of a story that is potentially ongoing. Mm-hmm. So if you have uh, seven levels worth of hunting the vampire Strode... <laughs> <laughs> and you get the the curse of Strahd. Yeah, you could throw it in and just make a little change, mm-hmm. or you can even just put little clues, like yeah. some little nugget of information that's slipped into a desk that someone finds, and it connects to your broader story, and it makes everything feel cohesive again. Yeah, pulling out rules. No, um, well, this would be a great place for. I, I'm just sort of imagining, I'm envisioning um, like a starter, a uh, dungeon starter or yeah. something like that, where you, if you want it, like a great way to add th- content mm-hmm. is sort of a throwing back, this is going to be just an episode full of throwbacks, um, throwing back to the Games Within Games episode we did, Oh yeah, where you could say, if the characters do this, they get sucked into this alternate dimension, and then here are the rules for the laser and feelings ha- lasers and feelings hack that I made. That they these are now the rules by which the the game should be played while they're in this alternate or dream world or something like that. Absolutely, you fall into a computer and you end up in Logics and Freakazoids. Yeah, and you just play that game for a little while. Yeah, and then as soon as you wake up, you go back to the regular rule set. Exactly. The they module mod, those sort of like self contained, especially for if you're talking about a more complex setting, yeah. moving into a lighter setting, yes. then you can easily enca- encapsulate those rules in a in a smaller setting. Yeah, and actually that kind of ties in because also with some of these modules I was talking about potentially changing system, there are countless modules for Dungeons and Dragons. There are very very few modules. For lasers and feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you were playing spells and, uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, spells and swords, swords and sorcerers, sorcerers and swords. The lasers and feelings hack that is Conan. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're playing that and you have a module from D&D, you've got all sorts of content information and stuff. Yeah. 
Uh, so I think one thing to keep in mind with those is that it's much easier to drop down in terms of complexity. Because if you're trying to do a boost up, you need to find all the monsters. You need to clarify and yeah. get all the information on all the monsters. Yeah. And if you're playing something like Lasers and Feelings, if you're playing something like Lasers and Feelings, and suddenly you want to thrust the characters into a D&D world or even a dungeon mm-hmm. world world, now you've got to like include moves and you've got to include weapon stats and stuff like that. They need which, to create a new character sheet. Yeah. That's that's a lot. So you wouldn't necessarily want to go that way unless you're pulling out just specific rules. Yeah. Um, I could imagine a module where you want to say we want. Here's a good example, a module with a monster that that where you're saying, here's a monster. This is the thing that like a werewolf or, okay. or something like that, uh, because you're going to this dungeon world town and and you want the big bad guy to be a a werewolf. Right. Um, you might add into into that you might you could you could i'm just gonna show the fact that i have no idea how to play dungeon world okay but like i'm gonna assume the dungeon <laughs> world doesn't really have super crunchy like grappling mechanics no it does not have it super crunchy um, mechanics. but maybe that's really important to the the werewolf you want to the play. werewolf is a luchador yeah so you could go to D and you could grab those those mechanics and build out just enough of a system around because D&D characters are just enough, like Dungeon yeah. World characters, that maybe you could just pull out that that grapple mechanic and insert it for that monster, mm-hmm. just to make that that conflict sound seem a little bit uh, crunchier. Or, for that matter, if you're using a module that you've written ahead of time, or that you've gotten from somewhere ahead of time, or a mm-hmm. dungeon starter that you've gotten ahead of time, then it can have the custom move in there as a move that you can pick up. Yeah. Because really, all that modules are is avoiding the time that you have to say, um, at the table. Yeah. So if there's a custom move that says, when you wrestle the luchador werewolf, roll plus strength, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 gives you the consequences, gives you the answers, gives you everything, then you're set. Instead of trying to make that up on the fly with four sets of eyes on you. So getting all that information together is definitely an important thing. Because even if you are going from a high crunch to a low crunch system, let's say Dungeons & Dragons to Dungeon World, mm-hmm. you need to make some pretty major changes. Uh, you might have a monster that is three pages in D&D because of all of its abilities and strengths and powers and stuff. And it would be much smaller in Dungeon World. But if it should have a custom move, then you need to write that custom move. Yeah. That is that, that is the the one sort of problem i could foresee with writing a lot of custom stuff into dungeon into apocalypse world style games is that if you're including a lot of custom moves that's going to start taking up a lot of space it can take up some space which is not a huge problem because it could be worth it yeah because custom moves are fun but if you're trying to keep the module small so that you can have it all in your mind or see it all on a table yeah. in front of you, you don't have too much room behind your GM screen. Well, the nice thing is that the number of custom moves that you might have in a single adventure is probably going to be less than five. Uh, it'd be pretty pretty rare to go above that, I think. Yeah. Just because the regular moves cover so much of it. So yeah, that's just kind of a core idea behind it. Mm-hmm. You also have to consider things like if you are playing a game that has miniatures and you're going up to that game or down to that game or whatever it is in terms of complexity, you might need to make a map. And if you make the map ahead of time, less cognitive load at the table. Yeah. If they've got a map, 
cool. You can keep it to look at if you feel like it, or you can ditch it entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, do do you need specific game specific add-ons to it? Do you need, for example, if you're making D and D into Fate, you need some aspects. Yeah, because the world has aspects and spaces have aspects. Mm-hmm. So I kind of picture doing these modules as having the module open on your left and having a piece of paper on your right and just reading through and like room one orc in a 10 by a 10 room mm-hmm. okay that orc is hearty that orc is orcish yeah 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 that orc it's, is guardian of it's treasure it's probably a little bit easier to pull aspects out of old school D modules just because if they're descriptive at all yeah those descriptions are aspects oh yeah absolutely <laughs> and i mean in a in a broad kind of sense it's the same for what i'm looking for when i'm looking at a dungeon starter for uh now i really like the idea of not even just the descriptions but the actual mechanics as aspects in a really weirdly meta (laughs) fate game if you have an aspect of like plus three to claw attack i mean that's uh crits at a 19 or a 20 yeah something like that could be an interesting yeah i could see that strange uh, aspect yeah i'm going to tap my crits on a 19 or a 20 in order to do extra damage for this attack because this is a moment where it would be really narratively cool for me to get a critical hit but so how do you how would you go about taking something like i mean maybe this is a whole episode that we could do at some point but how would you take say you have a specific monster or something in a dungeon that's unique yeah but it's heavily reliant on that kind of a lot of old school crunchy mechanics that you don't have in dungeon world okay how do you go about adapting that so basically so basically what i do is i look at what i have in dungeon world Mm -hmm. so first off there are some tags that are just kind of narrative tags for your information uh for example orcs might have the horde tag they tend to arrive in big groups uh and different things like that that's kind of less important that's mostly for your own purpose if you're doing it for yourself you probably don't need it uh then you have essentially hp which is almost certainly going to be less than 16. Uh, I put really low HP characters that I want to take out in a single blow at 3 HP. I put something that's kind of a middling threat, like an orc for a first level party at like a 5. Something big is a 10, and something truly gargantuan is a 16, uh, with like a little bit of fluctuation between Mm -hmm. the things. Just because there's narrative armor that you are considering. So if you're creating a Baylor, yeah, go ahead, give it 15 HP, whatever. Uh, because they're not going to be doing that damage right away anyway. Like, yeah. it's very common for a fighter to be able to do 20 damage in a single attack. That's really not crazy. And so if, <laughs> if you're counting on just that, your encounter's over. The core thing, the most important thing... Oh, you also figure out the uh, HP damage, which tends to be pretty similar to D&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially at low levels. Um, you're basically, you're choosing a die size. Uh, if you roll more than one die, you actually just choose the highest number because HP in Dungeons and World also doesn't go up very high for players. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of just a mechanical fidgety thing. The most important thing is you're looking at what makes the monster interesting and you're pulling out monster specific moves. These aren't like player moves. They're not roll plus strength. They are the MC moves. Mm-hmm. So, like, the MC has moves like separate the players. Right. 
uh, each specific monster in Dungeon World, and I think realistically in every PBTA hack, should have a set of moves that are specifically used with that NPC or with that monster. So really you're looking less at the stat block for a... Hang on. You're looking less at the stat block that the monster might have, and you're probably looking more at uh, most, if I'm remembering correctly, most D&D monsters in the Monster Manual have some sort of a like a tactics guide yep. of like what they do, and that that is probably where you're going to find most of your moves. Absolutely. More than just like that they have a talon yeah. or, or a bite attack. Although if they have a bite attack that's especially interesting, you might do that. Like the yeah. rust, like let's take, take the rust monster. Um, the rust monster is known for being a horrific thing for D&D parties to face because it rusts your armor. Yeah. You can give it the move, rust a piece of metal. And then that means if someone rolls a seven to nine or a, heaven forbid a six minus, the MC is able to make that move and have it happen. Yeah. So you're looking for tactics or you're looking for moves that have special rules associated with them. Yeah, basically the cool effects of the things. And I know there's a couple, I think there's one that's even in the core book of Dungeon World that has bite off a limb. Ugh, that's and, terrifying. And you just do that. Yeah. They, they roll a six minus, so oh, you bite off a limb. And maybe they'll get a new limb. Nice. Maybe not. But you can just do that. And that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily HP damage. Some GMs put HP damage in also. I think that that's fine as a narrative move mm-hmm. because then when they're trying to climb up the cliff face, I ask them, hey, how are you doing that? Yeah? You're, you think you're going to climb up with a freshly lost arm? Yeah. And My so, teeth. Yeah, exactly. So they'd have to make quite a compelling point <laughs> for me to let them just do that. Yeah. So that's what I look for is as I'm taking the individual individual monsters i'm pulling out those moves kind of in a similar way you would pull out aspects yeah because enormous limb biting maw yeah aspecty yeah and so i think we've been talking about we've been talking about dungeon world a lot yeah but i think as a sort of larger guiding principle you could look at those monsters you can look at the specialty attacks they have you look at the tactics you look at the things they do and be it for moves or for aspects or even for something like um, like Cypher. You'd have to come up with a Cypher sentence for the monster probably. Yes, absolutely. Um, you're, I think. You're looking for the sort of the guts of the, what makes that monster unique and special so that you can incorporate that into the rules of whatever system you're transferring it into. Exactly. Like, I mean, if you are fighting a beholder in Cypher, then you would better bet that one of those eye stalks better be a cypher afterwards yeah because that's super cool Mm. yeah like i love that Mm -hmm. uh so just don't don't get lazy here this is not the place to get lazy. yeah yeah because again these are all like if you're either writing you're either writing these modules for yourself later or you're writing them for someone else to use and the whole idea is prep now so that you don't have to later yeah and like Honestly, it doesn't have to be super complex. If you've written a single move for every monster, then you've made that monster unique. Because chances are in a single fight, you're not going to use all four or all five of the monster Mm -hmm. moves that tend to be in there. Yeah. So basically, what I want to do is kind of touch on a little bit of what's going on in a specific dungeon starter 
just to give an idea of what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Then go through real briefly what are the general categories of the things you want in a dungeon starter, whatever your system is. Okay. And then from there, maybe see if we have time to to start in on a little editorial mandate. Okay. Which is what I'm calling Dungeon Starters for Masks. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, So I'm starting up with uh, The Shallow Sea, which is a dungeon starter by Marshall Miller. Uh, Marshall has written several other dungeon starters. They're all really good. I enjoy them. I really recommend you check them out if you like dungeon world or fantasy or whatever. Uh, And so what it starts out with is it has your general agenda from dungeon world and some of the goals for the GM and some of the regular dungeon moves that exist within dungeon world. Then it has kind of specific things for the setting that you're in. Okay. Uh, So the shallow sea is an ocean it's just lots of ocean i think you're on a boat on it water world yeah it's essentially water world uh and so it has questions to start off okay because as you know pbta games are full of questions yeah so an example is oh i think you're actually no it's i'm sorry it's a shallow sea it's thigh deep water oh so it has the question what do you hate most about traversing the warm thigh deep water of the shallow sea is it everywhere it's as or is far that as one of the questions? The maybe. shallow sea stretches for hundreds of leagues. When did you lose sight of land? Oh, that's terrifying. It's terrifying and amazing. That's but like so mildly infuriating. It's terrible. I love it. <laughs> and so, like, when you ask that question, though, like, James, right now, what do you hate most about traversing the warm, thigh-deep water of the shallow sea? Y- you can never get fully dry. That's true. You've just, that wetness is always there. And so like, you have that, and then you can build that into things. And someone says, like, you know, uh, oh, there are these sharp rocks and they're always just barely out of sight. Mm-hmm. And so you, yeah. you cut your feet because you couldn't possibly wear boots because you'd just be dragging every step of the way. Yeah. And so you can have this the shallow sea and have 10 different groups run it and have 10 different groups come up with different things. So you maintain that play to find out what happens. Uh, what kind of sea creatures are you surprised to see? Uh, what have you slept on or have you slept at all? And so that's super cool. Yeah. And that kind of like that kind of question asking is something that's that's common in a lot of PBTA games. Yeah. But it's also really good. I think we were we've been sort of everywhere. It's good everywhere. And and we've been talking about sort of taking a module from one and one game and moving it to another. But if you were going to try to write a a sort of generic system, system generic Mm -hmm. module, a really good that would be a really good way to make sure that you weren't building too much of a specific mechanic into it if that mechanic wasn't like specific to something that was in the game. Absolutely. Or in the module, I mean. Um, or even if you're writing a very specific module, heck, these are some really good questions to make sure you've written a descriptive, yeah. interesting yeah. module. Uh, from there, it goes on to impressions. This is something that's actually in most of the uh, MC materials for different games. It'll have like locations or pictures or images that you see. And so it has, like, Apocalypse World might have, like, a junkyard with smoke coming out of it, whatever. Yeah. Uh, And so this just has specific things. It has about 20 different impressions, which uh, Marshall Miller has said is kind of the the sweet spot for those, for the number of impressions. Like, things you might run into in the world. Exactly. So this has on it a fisherman on stilts spearing fish with pikes. Uh, The court of the Everdry, who pride themselves on never having touched the water. 
a Ooh, rickety watchtower reaching high into the sky. I really like this setting a whole this, lot. I love this setting. I kind of want to run this, actually. Maybe I'll run it on the Discord sometime yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, a, a small island whose inhabitants sell lumber and cane and at exorbitant prices. So these impressions just kind of give you a rich tapestry to draw on. Yeah. So that you're not going, um, you see somebody walking. Instead, you say, you see shrouded pilgrims wading to the continental shelf. Yeah. And that's so cool. That is one of my problems that at least, or my my perceived problems of my own GMing, is that I feel like my worlds all feel empty. And part of that is because I never go to add NPCs. But also it's because like I ran a masks game and the yeah. characters had to go to the playground adjacent to the high school. And yeah. they went out there and they were like, what do you see? And I was like, uh, playground. Yeah. And that is that is something that having those impressions ahead of time can be really helpful. Um, yeah. Urban Shadows, I know, has a list of locations that could be in a city. And so it has like abandoned warehouse. Yeah. It has like, you know, ritzy coffee shop. But I like the things like the man the, on stilts who is mm-hmm. spearing fish. Things that could be anywhere. Yeah. Because you can use them in, in 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 the places where they make sense, but you could also put that guy in a playground, and yeah. now, like, what is this weird dude doing in a playground? There's some plot. And some of the impressions are actually even NPCs mm-hmm. to make your world feel more, feel more full. Rajakaba, the goal master, directing his flock. Yeah. Boom, story, done. Uh, but basically, when you're reading an old module and converting it into a dungeon starter... You can just look for all of the most evocative imagery in it. Yeah. And just take it out because you no longer care about the rooms. What you care about is the cool things going on. So if there's an enormous brass statue, then put that in. Take its whole description. It's an impression. Done. And then whenever you feel like it as you're going down the list, you just go, oh, yeah. And you cross it off on your sheet and you keep going. Yeah. I bet even something as simple as the cover art on like an old school D&D module Absolutely. has a lot of really cool evocative images you can use. I'm just picturing that giant uh, golden statue with the ruby that they're getting down. Yep. Oh, I love that. Use every part of the module. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Don't waste it. <laughs> yeah, game designers eating people's brains. Oh. That's 5th uh, edition. Oh. It's in like uh, a little note at the beginning. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, from there, <laughs> it then also has some other stuff. It has some custom moves. Yeah. Uh, this has, uh, when you learn the fighting style of the water folk, take plus one ongoing when you fight unarmored in the water. Or uh, when you both start and end a session in the shallow sea, you may shift your alignment one step in either direction. Harsh environments hmm. make heroes and villains of us all. Oh, that's good. It's I like that so a lot. so good. And like using those drama moves as some of the custom moves. I have a custom move already planned. Okay. A custom drama move already planned for masks. Uh, and then from there, it gets into a little bit of the more crunchy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a list of things or services. And again, they're just super, super evocative. And you just want to take the things that are most cool and most evocative and put it into your starter. And then it has monsters complete with a brief little description the damage that they do, their HP, and a couple of moves. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. If you are fighting a frogling, they uh, might ram you with surprising force or consume shiny objects. <laughs> that's great. Because of course they do. Yeah. Because that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So 
So that, that, that so summarizing a little bit. Yeah. So kind of just like a summary of what's in it. We're looking for evocative images. We're mm-hmm. looking for what was the first one? Questions. We're lo- we're looking for questions you would ask to sort of get your players' minds thinking about the world. You've got evocative imagery for you to use in um in sort of placing in in the world to make it feel full and rich. Mm-hmm. You've got um, custom moves that might be specific to the world or custom mechanics. If you're not just talking about, right. um, if you're not just talking about dungeon world, that might be a really good stunts. place for, I was going to say a really good place for some stunts or maybe even some, um, some aspects. Yep. And, and then any other sort of NPC name lists or other things you might need to run, like mechanically run the game with unique specific things for the setting. Yeah. And then, I mean, this dungeon starter, it has, I think, six questions, 25 impressions, eight custom moves, five monsters, a spell, two services, and seven items. And a partridge in a pear tree. And a partridge in a pear tree. And it fits on one double-sided piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, and you could run, you could use this same thing for two, three sessions. Yeah. So that's awesome. All right. So let's do this. Yeah. So let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, so here's what I want to do. Okay. Uh, I was talking to James uh, at first, and so I... I do, do we want to talk about the fact you don't know what a super <laughs> a very special episode is? I've just never heard it phrased that way. Okay, but you're you're familiar with the concept. Yeah. Uh, so basically, masks. We have teenage superheroes, and most of the time there's going to be some drama. Most of the time there's going to be some sadness. Most of the time there's going to be some fun. What I want to do is make an editorial mandate for when the comic company that your masks game has taken place in. Uh, wants you to do a sad episode that has like a lesson and a moral and things okay. like that. Okay. Uh, because I think that those editorial mandates are part of what makes some comics really bad sometimes. Yeah. But is also super fun to play on a meta level. Yeah. Uh, I want to do actually a bunch of these. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this we'll is kind to, of a little we'll project up, that I yeah. want to do. Okay. Um, I'm very excited to do the beach episode <laughs> oh, because yeah? that is the yeah. stupidest editorial mandate in the world. Yeah. Uh, but it has like a core set of ideas. Watch out for Undertale. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Undertow, by the way, excellent name for a villain. Yep, yep. Uh, so here's what I want to have in an editorial mandate. Okay. I think it needs to have questions and questions, impressions slash panels, because we can play with the whole idea of it being a comic book. Custom moves, probably paragons, like some of the big heroes that are in it. Villains, and maybe some items or something like that. Yeah, okay. Like, I like, I it like, doesn't hurt. I like the idea of impressions, and uh, but, but also I love the panels. I think that'll and, be fun. And maybe specifically coming up with ideas for like full page panels. Yeah. Uh of because those are like the the story beats. Absolutely. The big, the big events that you'll that you'll know you'll want to hit eventually. Yeah. Uh and I think that this is potentially a sadder uh editorial mandate. Yeah. And so we're going to have some like slightly darker imagery in it. Um so that's kind of my idea of it, my okay. core idea. And so what we're trying to do with this editorial mandate is uh Stanley came in and was like, look, we need to do an episode about uh, about drugs or about something dark or like, you know, with with these very special episodes, it's always it's always drugs or teen pregnancy yeah. or both. 
Uh, and so just kind of tackling one of those big ideas in a ham-handed, <laughs> over-the-top yeah. teenage Maybe. superhero way. Well-intentioned, but poorly executed. Exactly. Like, like, and so like that's like the goal of it. The goal yeah. of it isn't actually to tell an important story about yeah. the world. It's to have some fun playing the dark story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of questions, what you want to do with the questions is you're asking things of the players that are going to help to build the world and build the situation. Okay. One of the things we really need to establish is how the characters have the connection to this dark story. Yeah. Because chances are we're not telling the dark story of one of the main characters. Yeah. Because if we do that, this is a very special episode. There's like an 80 to 90% chance the character that is the very special episode subject is dead at the end of the episode. Yeah. So it's more like, who do you know that's sick? Who do you... Yeah. Who's someone that you care about that's hooked on drugs? Yeah. And so that could be a question right there. I would also ask the question, what did the artist use to show that this character is really struggling? Because then you really put them into the mindset of thinking of it in the comic book space. Yeah. Which I think is a really cool thing that masks can do. And that kind of a... A question answer that kind of an answer could almost then become an impression or a absolutely whatever it is the answer that the the players give you can kind of come back on on itself and and be a point that you keep hammering home yeah absolutely further do you have any ideas of further questions there um who's uh, maybe like how much time do they like if it's a, if it's a it's a story where the character's gonna die how much time do they have left yeah even if you're not asking the character asking the player that yeah absolutely um who who could help them oh i like who could help them i like the idea of asking what do you normally do with this character mm-hmm. that has been shown in previous issues yeah because that's how you want to that might even be how you want to start things off showing those Showing the happy time yeah. of things going of going well and going nicely. Asking who asking who could help them is great because it'll give you an NPC to yeah, attack. Absolutely. Um ask, <laughs> because this is masks. Because this is masks. Yeah. I mean you could also do something like what in your current emotional state connects to to the problem that's going on or something like that. Yeah. Maybe even something like asking the players what they uh, what they see if like if you're if you're talking about maybe not a character dying but you're talking about like a, f- a friend who has been sucked in by drugs or some some mm-hmm. other sort of vice asking the characters what they see of themselves in that person yeah that's great confronting I, the dark demons in that person in themselves absolutely uh and then from there uh let's come up with a couple of impressions or panels mm-hmm. uh so I think one of the things to do is think about what kind of tone you're trying to hit. Yeah. Uh, so in the panel descriptions, there's nothing wrong with using text that is evocative in relation to how a comic would be drawn. Okay. So you could put something like darkly lit panel showing the character alone at showing the character alone at night. Yeah. Or you could have an impression of uh the character's family together at dinner 
with an empty chair. Mm -hmm. And how you use that can be done in a bunch of different ways. That can be pre-really horrible events. That can be foreboding that doesn't end up paying off in a sad way. Because you can have a very special episode that ends with everybody okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it can be something that's immediately after a funeral. Yeah. I like the the idea of the character alone on a rooftop. Yeah. Or like hanging off of a spire. Yeah. Looking out over the city raining or something i like uh repeat a previous panel a repeat a previously used panel with a character missing mm. <laughs> because that could be very ominous but it could also just be one of the characters is off somewhere else yes yeah, absolutely yeah um, a swing set swinging with no one on it yeah i mean <laughs> there's nothing wrong with going like super campy. true over the top camp mm-hmm. because these these always are yeah you know uh I'm trying to think of other good impressions for this. Mm. Um, you could show someone further along in deterioration. Mm-hmm. And actually, one of my favorite things is something truly happy and warm contrasted with the darker side of things. So, like, the best very special episodes are on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just thinking of Scrubs' very special episodes. Uh, and they were they were perfect because they were all holiday-themed and there's all the bright lights. And I'm just picturing like a black panel now that has the only light provided in theory by the holiday lights around and yeah. a silhouette of the character. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another thing. I like the idea of an image of... I don't know how you would work it in, but like the image of a possible future mm, where yeah. the person survives or recovers or whatever. You could put in like uh, an older version of the character surrounded by a family and you could have an impression that is somebody else holding their mask. Yeah, that's a good one. Someone that's a, that's else holding their one. mask. Like that. is, that's probably, <laughs> that's, that's maybe where you start. Yeah. Even. Yeah. That might even, that might be the cover of your comic. Oh, oh from yeah. now on, when I play masks games, I'm going to tell what the cover of the comic is first. Yep. 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 Oh, that's, that's a great delightful. One. So what other moves would we need? So, uh, with the moves, you want to think of what are some of the different things that the characters might have to do? Um, I think if you're looking at, for example, a drug story, uh, it can make sense to use some of what is already available in the game mechanics-wise. So we have the influence things. We have the influence rules. And so you could put in something like when your character spends too much time around drugs, drugs takes influence over you. <laughs> oh, that's good. Isn't I like that, that good? Yeah. And then from there, you can have the drugs tell you who you are or what the world is yeah it can oh, tell God. you that you're dangerous or it can tell you that you're a freak if it's like you know some kind of wacky drugs or it can tell you that you are just a person and you're not good enough and so that's really that's powerful and that's something you can use and having it there on that sheet is super useful i've been thinking about this editorial mandate for a little while because i <laughs> work in a hospital and you know have to yeah. think about how to use happy fun times to tackle some um, sad subjects just like looping back around that comes back to what um troy and darcy were talking about in their episode about handing off 
um, like like a using the GM intrusion mechanic in Cipher as yeah. a sort of madness voice in your head mechanic. Yeah. And handing control of that off to the player to your left. Oh, you yeah. could almost do that in in uh, in 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 masks where you have the drugs have of have um, have influence over you and then making sure like if, if either the GM or if you're playing a, a, a which you probably are a GM less hack of masks. Um, <laughs> I handing, don't even know if that would work. It would definitely work. I mean, it would definitely uh, work. But... Handing off the sort of authorial control of what the drugs want to yeah. someone else. Yeah, absolutely. No reason that couldn't be given to somebody else. Um, I also really like the idea of a drama move that is that changes how the drama move works. So if you have lost if you have lost a friend or team member in this episode when you celebrate with a teammate instead of your regular celebrate move ask them if you could have saved them. <laughs> If they say no, clear a condition and and talk about why it couldn't have been. No, no, actually, this is even better. If they say no, clear a condition and they take influence over you. If they say yes, take a condition and mark progress. So one is the hard truth that is difficult to hear, but makes you closer to being the paragon of what you need to be. Yeah. And the other gives you some space, but you've, you've really needed that person to tell you them, tell you that. Yeah. And so that also cuts out the possibility of using the celebrate move and it have being this really nice, awesome fun time. Yeah. It yeah, makes it so yeah. that your game has to end on a downbeat. Yeah. Which is good. Which is good for a very special episode. Yep. What other what other moves or or um, what other uh, mechanics would we need? When you explain to someone why they shouldn't use drugs, roll plus superiority. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this would be a good place for if we were talking about a fate game, yeah. having some or even inserting this into the game, having a stress track. For oh yeah. Like drugs, I guess. Well, you could have um, a countdown clock. Just yeah, as countdown easily. clock. Yeah, yeah. Um, having a really fast resetting countdown clock. That's like how how frequently does that person need to go get a hit of the drug? Oh yeah. Um, and then that would be that could coincide with you need to watch your friend. Your friend needs to get that is starting to feel that desire to get the hit of their drug mm -hmm. um and you're trying to watch them and prevent them but that's when the bad guy attacks yeah and distracts you and pulls you away yeah. and lets them escape and go get Absolutely. more of the drugs i think uh when you spend some time in a heartwarming activity roll plus mundane mm -hmm. for an option to kind of push things down because ideally you've got that like you know dinner scene with the whole family together yeah uh, and if you've got a stress track at that point, if you've got like a, uh, falling into drug use stress track, then you could roll plus the level of current addiction you're dealing with. And then I think it would also have something with like, when you, when you look in the mirror, mm -hmm. like when you, when you face yourself in the mirror, the drugs might tell you who you are. Yeah. And then that's a matter of the GM going like, okay, what kind of story are we telling here? Are we telling a story where the concern is danger 
are we telling a story where the concern is weakness? Where, like, you know, if yeah. this is something that's, if this is a drug that's opening your mind to a psychic plane, then we're talking about freak. What else do we need? So what we need from here is paragons and villains. Mm-hmm. I would stick in, personally, two paragons. I don't know if we have enough time to go through them in much detail. Just rough ideas. But I'd make one who is uh, kind of your kind of your good boy. Yeah, the untouched. Yeah, you stick in your Captain America-style paragon. The person who has never, never tried a drugs, never will try a drugs. No, they... And is un, unfazed by its influence. They, they know fully and righteously that it is the wrong path, mm-hmm. and they will tell you that. And and not only that it's the right that that not taking the drugs is the right path, but that any desire within yourself to fall to the drugs yeah. is weakness in your character. Right. And so they might have moves like reject the weakness in somebody. Yeah. Or they might have the move uh stand staunchly against the corruption of this world. And then because you always want to make the one, two, three character connections a paragon that has gone through all sorts of this trouble. But has maybe recovered. And has maybe recovered, maybe not. I mean, like, you've got Tony Stark, who's actively an alcoholic quite yeah. a bit of the time. Yeah. You've got Hank Pym, who is a terrible, terrible person. and All around. Like, just all around. Um, and also has all sorts of... I, I don't want to say that, actually. Yeah. I, I, because I don't want to make it sound as though people that use drugs are bad people. Yeah. in real life i thought he was i mean i wasn't talking he's about a rapist <laughs> yeah i think he's, he's also not, a drug he's, addict he's a bad i think sometimes he's a bad character oh not yeah. related to the drugs yeah. or the alcoholism yeah let's let me uh, try that again yeah you've got hank pym that has had a really horrific road with alcoholism and drug use yeah. that has led to him being like essentially a villain a lot of the time yeah and so if you have kind of a darker sort of character if you've got like you know cyclops at his lowest mm-hmm. you've got someone to brood and you've got someone who also can say hey look you can be a hero and face hard things yeah and then on the villain side of things i think you definitely want a directly themed villain because things are going to be you know the villain who is who's perhaps wallowing in the drugs who is is promoting it who's yeah, the the villain that is is like essentially it's like Joker on Toxin or yeah. it's like Bane on Venom. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's it's really the over the top image of the dangerous substance. Yeah, depending on where you'd want to go with it, it would be interesting to have a vi- a villain who mirrors the hero who would never touch the drugs okay. and have the villain who would never touch the drugs. I can who see can, that. Who can come at you like, what are you doing? Even yeah. I'm, I would never do that. And I'm the bad guy. So how bad are you? Yeah. Or like, like a, you're not supposed to do this. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying to get rich. Yeah. I'm trying to be powerful. Yeah. You're supposed to be the good guy. You're supposed to be over there. Yeah, I think I feel like almost that that is something that is a role that the the Joker takes in a lot of media. Oh, yeah. Where it's the I'm supposed to be the bad guy. What are you doing? Yeah. You're ruining this whole relationship we have. Absolutely. And that can be a really <laughs> interesting character. Yeah. Um I would also put in 
not necessarily as a hero or a villain, a pre-built list of moves for the character that is that is struggling. Mm-hmm. So giving moves like uh like descend deeper than you ever have mm-hmm. or lash out and call someone a prude. Yeah, lash out is probably a good one. Yeah, I mean like lash out is a pretty basic thing among it, but like tell someone tell someone they're a boy scout is like a fine move to have there. Yeah. Um or like burn an emotional bridge. And then you have those moves available to you and you you can go through with them. Yeah. Why didn't we do the beach one? The beach one would have been fun and uplifting. (laughs) You want to do this sad story, man. Yeah, I do. We'll have to do it again. I do sometimes want to do. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, I intend to release editorial mandates somewhere. I don't know if that'll be... Man, we got to play masks again. We got to play masks. (laughs) I want to play so much masks. I just want to always be playing masks. Yeah. By thinking ahead of time about what you would like to portray within something... You can really get a tightly coherent themed story. So even if you have a bunch of goofballs, if you go to them and you say, hey, I'm thinking of doing an editorial mandate story where we tell a sad, very special episode. Mm -hmm. If you have all the trappings, if you have all the moves, if you have everything set up ahead of time, you can just do it. Yeah. And then if things start to go off the rails. And like, obviously this is one that you'd want to be very safe with your players. But if things start to go off the rails, you look down and you go like, oh, okay, where are my impressions? And then you say, walking down a path together with another panel next to it of the two of you walking down a path together as kids. And boom, you're back in it. Yeah. Yeah. And and so... I think having like the, coming back to like the whole point of modules, but like having that this whole thing thought out ahead of time, um, either something that you designed or taken from another adventure allows you to bring those sort of thematically concise stories that especially with something like that, where we talked about like telling a drug story is not simple no, and and is definitely not simple in something like masks which is generally a little bit more lighthearted, but having, having it all laid out, having it, having either someone wrote it for you or you have, or you wrote it for yourself, um, regardless of what system you're for, you have all those themes, you have those images, you have everything you need to make sure that you are treating it with respect and that you are sort of staying on theme the whole time. Right. Or you're doing the nineties TV show episode. Yeah. And that's also okay. Yeah. Like, you know, as long as you're keeping the players safe. Yeah. Um, but it gives you the framework yeah. so that you don't have to come up with the framework on the fly. Yeah. And like, you know, if you've gotten it from somebody else, you can look at it ahead of time and go, eh, I don't like that question. Shk, cross it out. Mm-hmm. Hack the hack. Hack the hack. <laughs> hack the planet. All right. So. Um, I, I would kind of like to get a couple of these mandates together and toss them up on drive through RPG. Probably as just to pay what you want. Yeah. Um, but I think if I get like five or six of them. Yeah. I, I know I want to do a Death of Superman. Yeah. I know I want to do a beach episode because those are the silliest. Uh, I know I want to do a cosmic encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking I might want to do a time travel one. Ooh. There might need to be more than one time travel one because I kind of want to do days of future past. Body swap. Body swap. Yes. That's my that's my thing. <laughs> I need to write my body swap game. I need to come you do. Coming back. You can tweet at us at stop hack and roll or you can tweet at me at and the meltdowns. 
And I'm at Dr. Captain Cobalt. Um, we have a website that we talked about briefly before. It's at http colon slash slash www.stophackandroll.com. And associated with that website, you can email both of us individually at either James or Brandon at stophackandroll.com. We also have a vibrant Discord community, which has been growing nicely and just is game design talk all day long. If you want to see previews of a bunch of really cool people's games, yep. you can do it. It's it's awesome. And my favorite is the people who join and the first thing they say is, hi, I'm new here. This is the game I'm working on. Can you please help me? And everyone joins in and helps out. I like even more the people that joined and said, oh, I'm not working on anything. I'm not a game designer. <laughs> and now they're like... Two weeks later. Yeah, like, oh, so you can go to the Discord. We'll yes. link it. And also, it's at uh, tinyurl.com slash shr discord. discord. Yep. And the Discord and the podcast, all of the things we do, supported by you guys on our Patreon, which is, you can find at patreon.com slash stophackandroll. And you can find information. All of the podcasts get posted there. If you back at a certain level, we post all of our show notes early so you can figure out what's going to go on. You can kind of get a head start on thinking about what we're doing. Because like uh, in the Discord, one of the channels is just all about what is the most recent episode of Stop, Back, and Roll and what are we talking about. So we make this podcast all because you guys help support us. Yeah. It, it's a totally like I don't pay for the podcast anymore. It's It's entirely supported by our listeners and Patreon backers like Rob Harvey, Blake Ryan, V. Brower, Stephen Mitchell, Declan Chadborn, Ryan, Troy Pitchelman, Riverhouse Games, Nick Clark, Robert Robert Kosick, and Rob Abrazado. Thank you guys all so much. You help support our show and support our development of new shows and everything we do. And if you would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, uh, consider telling a friend. I was thinking the other day about how we we like there are we have a pretty vibrant community on the Discord, but that's those people only represent such a small percentage of the people who listen to the show. True. And so, bring your friends, bring them onto the Discord. Anyone who listens to the podcast, tweet at us, get them involved. We love talking to you. That's how we find half of the ideas for our shows. Yeah. Um, like, like I said, I talked to Troy, came up with an idea for an episode. Uh, so um, pitch episode ideas to us, things you want to hear about. And and that's like that's how you can help support us more than anything else. And if you talk to us, you get to play games with us too, hopefully. Yeah. Because we're trying to run more and more games. Yep. One of us is trying to run more and more games. James is trying to run any games. I'm trying to run more and more games. Yep. <laughs> uh, is there anything else we need to say? I don't think so. Just that, as you are opening up your module, um, you're standing in the seventh floor of the dungeon, knee-deep in water, looking out into the distance, and thinking happy thoughts, or thinking thinking melancholy thoughts of your friends. Don't forget to stop hack and roll.
it's possible that I watched TV as a child. Okay. Uh, I've blocked out my entire childhood. Oh my gosh. I don't remember. A moth just flew by and it was really frightening. <laughs> you put it into incognito mode? I think James expects me to look up some fanfic or something. Start reading it. This <laughs> is weird. Uh, I want to go a little bit. Brandon throwing up all these gang signs at me. I don't know why. <laughs>